0: I invite you, as we come to the message time, hopefully you have the Word of God with you, you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open that. We are going to uh, take our next installment of the book of Acts, and once again, we are coming uh, down to, a, uh, just a, uh, right down to the end of it, and so, uh, hold on, let me, I'm sure you guys are seeing anything back there yet. Let me fire up my show. I made a mistake here. I got to. not sure. I'm not connected to you back there. I'm not sure. What... It's up there. You guys might need to just guide me through this morning. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We are in the middle of the storm that was happening. And if you remember, we were, uh, that's actually two weeks ago. But uh, Paul was on his way to Rome, finally. It's what God has been moving him towards. And we kind of happened to end right in the middle of uh, of uh, his, his ship being storm-tossed, and so we're going to kind of pick up right where we're at. We're in Acts chapter 27. We are coming close to the end of this. I think we have about four messages left, or three messages after today. And uh, we're going to read verses 27, which is where we dropped off, and to verse 44, which is the end of the chapter. But um, if I could just have, maybe remind you real quickly, they find themselves in a situation where they are in this boat... And they were trying to arrive their goal. Now, originally, they were trying to arrive to Rome, and they've given that up because the winds have been against them over and over again, and they've been getting blown around. I'll, I'll show you a map in a little bit. But they basically, uh, the, the visual you should get is that they've basically put themselves, uh, they, they've, they've tied up their rudders, they've lowered the sails. In fact, they've thrown some stuff overboard that would have actually help them navigate. They've, uh, they've bound up the ship so it hopefully stays together. They've basically made themselves into one big giant bobber on the Mediterranean Sea. And they're just going wherever the wind and the waves take them. And it says that they had given up all hope, except for you remember that Paul had said, hey, be encouraged. And we're going to start here with this, uh, with this, uh, I'm just going to maybe, have either either give me the clicker, I'm not sure what's, uh... thanks Caleb. I'm going to start with this verse that, uh, there you go, you got it up there, Chris is on it. This promise that Paul had been, had been given by God. And I wanna, I'm, I'm going to put that up there because that's really a backdrop for most of our message today. He said, don't be afraid for you're going to get to Rome. You're going to talk to Caesar. But here's something else. And this is what we're really going to bump up against because most of us in this room aren't the Pauls. We are the other people. Just kind of get that in your head. Most of us aren't the Pauls in this story. We're the other people. He said, but God has also granted to you, Paul, all these others that are with you. In other words, God has said you're all going to arrive safely. Now, let's put that in mind. This is the 14th night. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding, which means they dropped, uh, dropped their instrument down in the water to see how far down it was. And they found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took another sounding, astounding again, and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And we get a parenthetical note in verse 37. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. This was not a little boat, by the way. They had cargo on board, plus 276 people. Verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on, which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let the, left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, stuck, and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. All right, so we have the text, and just like usual, we're going to spend time trying to figure out exactly what happened in the story, but at the same time, we want to do more than just that, because if we're only here for a history exercise or to understand nautical things, then we've, we've really, we could have gone somewhere else. We could have gone to the nautical club or something like that. So we want to learn what this has to mean for us as well. Now, I told you I'd show you maps, So there... We spent a lot of time with this map two weeks ago. They've gone on this journey. They've ended up down here in Crete, which is that little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And they were planning to go just on another port on Crete to winter. But as you remember, right as they thought they had favorable winds, the northeaster starts blowing and they end up, really what we're seeing is this place out there. We, of course, don't know exactly where they went. I don't think they know exactly where they went. They were blowing all around. And and just maybe a note of clarification. You may have noticed the text that said that they were sailing around in the Adriatic. And you might think, well, I thought they were in the Mediterranean. The Adriatic is in that gulf there between Italy and Greece. And uh, from ancient records, we know that they considered the Adriatic to come all the way down, bordered on the uh, east by Crete and on the west by uh, Sicily there. So uh, anything that was part of that is what they considered the Adriatic, which is why they say that. However... We, we, we probably recognize that the storm began to abate some and they began to become aware that they might be getting close to land. So they take a sounding and they say it's 20 fathoms. Now a fathom is approximately three meters or approximately six feet. If you want to know what a fathom really is, by the way, the original word for fathom really just means an outstretching of your arms <laughs> is really what it means. So it's about that far. So if you're a normal male... That's why they get the six feet or the three meters, something like that, because that's your wingspan. But that's what a fathom is. That's how many fathoms. It, and there were 20 fathoms uh, from the bottom of the, of, the, of the sea there. And when they took another sounding, it, it came up five fathoms, which would be 30 feet. And they recognized they're going to be running into some land. But it was in the middle of the night, right? So we're going to break down our talk into... Those things, I should have probably been moving this forward. At about midnight, they suspected they were nearing land. We're going to break apart our talk into the three times of the night. So the first part is the midnight here. They recognize they're about to hit land, and what do they do? They do what probably most of us would do, I'm guessing. It says they were afraid they were going to run into the rocks because they had no idea what was in front of them. They couldn't see anything at all. So they dropped four anchors, probably in two pairs, from the back of the ship, and they did what? You read what it says. They prayed that day would come, right? Now, by the way, there's twofold purpose for dropping those anchors. The first is, of course, what we always think of. When you drop an anchor, what does the boat do? Hopefully, it stops. It stays in one place, right? So they dropped the anchors to stop their progress, But the second thing, by the way, they're being very very purposeful. They're dropping those anchors from the rear of the boat because that's also going to position the boat so that the front is facing towards where the land is coming at, so that they're positioned, ready to land. Now, they have no idea where the land is at. They have no idea where they're at. They have no idea what they're going to find. But they're putting themselves in a position to give them the best chance of safety. They're dropping their anchors down. They're hoping that slows them down from moving. And they're saying, we're going to point forward so that we're ready and giving ourselves the best shot. Now, I can't help but stop for a moment and just kind of move away from the text here in Acts and just recognize what a strong visual we have here of our lives so many times. Have you ever been in a situation where things were desperate and you did and had no idea what was going to happen? I'm guessing most of us can say, we've been in those places. I'm guessing there's been times where we had no idea what was coming in front of us. We knew something was about to change. We knew something was about to break. And we have this sense of impending doom. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But we know that something's about to break. We can tell because we're taking soundings that we know it's coming, right? And what do we do? If it's in the middle of the night, if we're in the middle of darkness and we have no idea, we drop our anchors down and we pray for daylight, right? We say, by the way, let me put it this way. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you've been worried about something? He said, do you ever think about the fact that things, man, you can think some really crazy things in the middle of the night. Do you ever, maybe you're not like that. You can think some crazy things in the middle of the night. Heidi and I have talked about this several times because there's times when we, we wake up and there's stuff going through our head. And we come up with the craziest things that once it's daylight, we think, why would he even think that? Why did we even think that? And there's something about it. Maybe it's because we're half awake. I don't know. Maybe we're not really, I'm not sure. what. But there's something about the fact that we're not, we're unprepared. We feel like we don't know how, what, how is this going to work out. And that darkness just presses in. And we drop the anchors and we pray for day to come. By the way, can I tell you this this morning? We find ourselves in those places. And scripture is really clear, actually, that there's only one anchor that we have that can position us correctly, that can keep us from going where we're not not supposed to go, and can position us correctly so that we're ready for a safe arrival. There's only one anchor. You probably were thinking of the same verses I'm thinking of. I'm going to flip there in my Bible to them. It's from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to put them up there for you. I'm going to read them out of my Bible here so I can read them a little easier. He says, we have this The writer of Hebrews says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you're like me, this week when I was thinking, I was studying for this, you're like me, I immediately, as I began to think of we have one anchor, I immediately began to think of a person. I began to think of Jesus but if we're looking at this text, I want to be, make sure I'm faithful to the Word of God because that's what my, my, my job is, is to teach you the Word of God. If you're faithful to the text, the anchor referred to here is not actually Jesus. If you would travel back a few verses up there, you would recognize that in verse 13, he begins to, to overlay something that happened currently with something that happened in the past. And the past event is this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, and then he goes on and lays that out. I would like to suggest to you this morning that the only anchor that you and I have is the Word of God, the promise of God. Now, that includes Jesus, by the way. So I'm not moving away from Jesus. I'm not, trying to, I'm not telling you that it's not Jesus, that, that, that Jesus somehow isn't. But it includes Jesus. But the anchor we have, what he is talking about here, is not Jesus. The anchor is that God has promised something to us. That God has said, this is what I'm going to do. By the way, this has everything to do with our text, doesn't it? Because God promised Paul, you're going to make it to Rome, and I have graciously granted to you that everyone with you is going to make it with, with you. They're all going to arrive safe. God has spoken it. He's promised it. And then we get this visual. They're dropping anchors. They're saying, we, gotta, we have an anchor, and it's the promise that God has given. Well, what is, the, what is that promise? It's the promise of a new covenant. Again, if you would read chapter 7, 8, and 9 of Hebrews, it's all full of the covenant that God has made, the new covenant that God has made through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm sending, he said, I did send my son, and he established a new covenant with all of you. That covenant did something the old covenant could never do. It started, he's hinting at it here already. He is a high priest. You have a new high priest. And he's not a high priest that has to go in and make sacrifices every day, or every year, or over and over again, for Jesus did it one time. He's a high priest who boldly goes into the inner presence where God's most holy presence is, and he has opened the way, in fact, for all of you to do it as well. That's all in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, and 9. He has opened the way. He's not a God that where you think that, well, maybe the blood of bulls and heifers can take away my sin, but he says, when you're sprinkled with the blood of this that I sent my son Jesus, then you know for sure that he can cleanse you and can clean you and can purify you. That's the covenant I'm making. And the covenant is that when you trust in that, then I will be your God and you will be my people. And you will forever dwell with me. There is no anchor we have except for the promise of God. We have no other option. We have nothing else that will stabilize us. We have nothing else that will keep us from drifting. We have nothing else that will position us correctly to arrive safely at our desired haven. That's a port. You see this has everything to do with this story. What we're seeing is a, a a physical laying out of the spiritual truth that's true for all of us. You have no other anchor except for the promise that God has given. That's all summarized in Hebrews 10:14, which is one of my favorite verses, for by a single offering he has perfected past tense. He has perfected for all time those who are being present tense, those who are being sanctified. That's the promise. That God gave us. You see, Jesus is actually the anchor, but it's the anchor because he's the anchor because God sent him and promised that what he did on the cross was all that you need. You don't need anything else. In fact, nothing else will help you. By the way, since I've deviated from the sermon, right after that in Hebrews, he begins in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, these words, therefore, all the things that I just told you from chapter 6, chapter actually really all of the book of Hebrews, but for this morning, chapter 6, chapter 7, 8, 9 that I summarized, ending in Hebrews 10, 14, all those things I've just told you, if those things are true, or rather I should say it this way, since those things are true, since we have this confidence, since we have this confidence, and he follows it up with three let us statements, three statements of let us do this. Let us do this. I'll just read all of it for you so you get the whole, te- the whole feel of it, okay? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, those are all the, conf- those are all the certainties we have, all the, all the things that God promised that are true now that were not true before. Since we have that confidence, here's the first let us. Let us draw near. Let's not go the other direction. Let us draw near. Let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, the first response is to draw near to God. Since you have these anchors, since you have this anchor, draw near to God. The second let us is in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let's hang on to that. That's the only anchor we have. Let's hang on to that. And the third one is in verse 24 then. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's consider how we can stir each other up. In other words, when you get to realize what an incredible promise God has given you, draw near to him, press into him, hang on to that promise with everything you have, and then see if you can stir other people around you to that same hope. Which is why he goes on to finish that. He did finish the verse. He says, let's not neglect getting together. Let's not stop gathering together as a body of believers as that's what we're supposed to be doing. All right, well, let's get back to the book of Acts. As a long deviation, my apology, not really actually because stuff we need to hear. Here they are, hunkered on a boat. They know they're approaching land. They drop their anchors. They're praying for daylight. You know, that reminds me of what the psalmist wrote. The psalmist wrote, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. And he repeats it because he wants to emphasize it. More than the watchman for the morning. i got to tell you again, this has everything to do with our story today. Look what's going on. You have sailors, and they know there's land coming. They know the ocean. They know there's land coming. They're dropping anchors. They're praying. I don't know who they're praying to, but they're praying that daylight comes so they have some idea and can make some kind of choice as how to proceed. And you have Paul in their midst, and he says, you know what? God said, God said we're all going to arrive safely. My soul waits for the Lord. My hope is in his word. It's in his promise. I have an anchor that you don't know about. You're throwing real ankles over, anchors over. I have an anchor you don't know anything about, and it's what God has promised to me. He said I'm going to get to Rome. He said I'm going to get there. He said you're all going to be safe too. That's my anchor. I'm waiting for his word and on him more than you guys are watching for the morning to come. Can you and I say the same thing, by the way? Or do we get anxious? Do we wring our hands and say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I've got to make this happen. I've got to have this come through. I've got to work this out. Or do we say, God has said this is how it's going to be. And I'm going to wait for him more than any watchman ever looked for any dawn, including those sailors on that boat when Paul was in the middle of a ship that was floating around like a big old bobber. Because you know they felt helpless. They've spent 14 days not seeing the sun or the moon, not having a clue where they're at, not eating, and not knowing what's going to become of them. Except for they're certain they're all going to die. Other than this man said, the God that I, who I belong to and who I worship, who I serve, told me we're all going to make it. And it's apparent they don't all believe yet, do they? Because What happens? As they throw the anchors out and as they give undercover, remember, remember, shortly after they blew, got blown off course, they managed. It says they managed to secure that little dinghy, that little lifeboat, up on top of the boat and lash it down so it didn't, so it wasn't. It was with them if, in case they needed it. Remember that? And then they were blown all over the place. That boat, by the way, usually is like is it's just like towed behind. That's why they had to pull it in because otherwise it would come swinging around and crash into them and cause all kinds of havoc. So they pulled it up on the boat. But while they're throwing these anchors out, and to to be sure, this is how we know that the storm has abated some, and they know they're close to land. So these sailors think to themselves, aha, this is the best chance that we have to get away and survive. We're on this big, unwieldy boat. We have no idea what's under the surface, but if we'd be in a little boat that we can man ourselves, let's forget the rest of these people. If we'd be in a little boat, we could sneak off, and we'd be safe, right? Right? And so under the cover of saying, you know what, we have to take these anchors and we have to get some up to the bow, to the front of the ship to help secure us even more. We're going to take this boat down and we're going to go take care of that. But the text tells us that they had no intention to do that, were they? They were thinking, once we get in that boat and we get down in the water, we are making a break for it and we're going to get away. And what does Paul say? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no doubt, says, unless these men stay in the ship, then what does he say? Read it carefully. What does he say? Who can, who's he talking to? Let's make sure. I didn't put up the whole verse. So who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? What's that? He's not talking to sailors. He's talking to the centurion. He's talking to Julius and, and his soldiers. In other words, the people. Okay, got. Okay, maybe i make sure this is, makes sense. We have a boat. They have a captain, and they have all kinds of seamen, and they are sailing around the Mediterranean delivering grain to to Italy, right? That's what they're doing. While they're in that town that we talked about last week, I think it was Myra, two weeks ago, then Julius and his soldiers and all the prisoners they had, which is Paul and his companions and some other people, they come on board and say, hey, can we go with you to Italy? So they're sort of a separate pocket of people. Think carefully what Paul says. He says, I see those sailors. They're trying to sneak away. Julius, unless they stay on the boat, who doesn't get saved? You don't. Notice, by the way, he doesn't say anything about himself. He says, I know where I'm ending up, right? I mean, God has spoken to me several. I know where I'm ending up. I'm going to see Rome. I'm going to be talking to Caesar. I know that. I believe that. That's my anchor. But if these guys don't trust, if these guys don't do what I'm telling you now, and by the way, notice how Paul is moving from like on the outside and saying, hey guys, we shouldn't sail. And he said, hey guys, you should have listened to me. We shouldn't have sailed. And now he's, he's gaining more and more influence and you're gonna see this bear out. He's gaining more and more influence to where Julius says, you know what? We had better listen to this guy. He's right. If we deviate, if we do something else, <laughs> if we try to come and up with our own plan for escape, we're not gonna make it. And he sends his soldiers over, says they straightaway cut the ropes and the boat went bye-bye. No more lifeboat. Now, every one of them is guaranteed to suffer the same fate, right? They're all in the boat. They're all in it together. Whatever happens, happens. Next part of the day, as it was about to dawn, as daylight was beginning to creep in, as they began to have some hope, Paul comes to them. He says, listen, you guys, we haven't been eating for 14 days. Eat something. I can tell you, we're going to be safe. I mean, says the guy who just cut the lifeboat away right? Says the guy who's not a sailor. I can tell you, we're going to be safe. Eat. Take strength. You're going to need strength. Eat. And then, as every good fearless leader should do, what does he do? Paul, when he had said those things, he sat down, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks to God, and he ate in their presence. He said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you, I'm not just trying to get you to say, trying to rah-rah you up and give you some unfounded hope. I fully believe that God's salvation is right here, and I'm going to sit here on the deck of this boat, and I'm going to eat for the first time in 14 days. Now, by the way, to a casual observer, a.k.a. those who don't know God, he was just sitting down eating bread, right? But to those Who serve God, to those who know Christ, there's a couple of hidden things or a couple of things that are spoken of beyond just the act of sitting down and eating bread, right? Why bread, for example? Why sit down and take it and break it and give thanks? Do you know what that word for giving thanks is? It's Eucharistejo, which, if you recognize anything from Catholic terms, it's the Eucharist. It's why we call that. It's called giving thanks. It's, by the way, what we're going to be doing tonight breaking bread and giving thanks. He sat down, and I have no doubt to his companions and those that followed Jesus with him, and if there were any other Jesus followers there, they knew exactly what he was doing. He sat down, and like Jesus sat down on the shore of the sea and gave thanks and broke bread and fed 5,000. And how Jesus... The night he was betrayed, broke bread and gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. In advance for what was going to happen, Paul sat down on the deck and said, we're about to be saved. He gave thanks and broke bread and said, let's eat. You see, he demonstrated so much more than just, hey, guys, let's eat some food. He, in the presence of all of them, said, I believe in God so much. I trust in his promise so much that I will sit down before you and give thanks to him for what is about to happen that you're going to see and he gave thanks. He, by the way, when he wrote to Timothy, talked about that same unashamed sitting in front of non-believers and saying, in the presence of all of you, I will declare what my faith is in God. And he says it this way. I'm going to just read a couple of verses for you from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Oops, that's 1 Timothy. That's why it didn't make sense. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, he says to Timothy, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering the God share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. By the way, I mean, if you really believe that, you got to picture this. This There's a guy sitting on a boat that's been storm-tossed for 14 days. He hasn't eaten. He's been praying. He believes that God says he's going to be delivered. And he's sitting there. it's when you believe this that you can do these kind of things. To say, Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. If I really believe that about God, then I'm not scared about slipping to some watery grave, am I, if I'm Paul? And if God told me I'm going to get to Rome, then then I'm going to get to Rome. Let's not say that too casually, by the way. I don't say that to induce guilt in you. But I do say it to have us assess our own faith and belief. Raw, rock, down rock bottom belief in who, if, in, if Jesus is who he says he is. If he has really abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light, of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? We keep reading. He says, "Of all those things, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do." Paul says, "Which is why I suffer as I do." And then he says this: "But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me." In other words, again, write this verse back into Paul sitting on that boat. If God wants me in Rome before Caesar, then God will put me in Rome before Caesar, and I'm convinced that He will get me there. I'm in, I mean, He just says it right there. He's He's gonna He's gonna guard what He's entrusted to me until the day comes, and when that day comes, then I'll be with Him, as He wrote to the Philippians. For me to live as Christ and to die is what is gain is better. Let's move on, because Paul's sitting on the deck, breaking bread, putting uh, symbols on top of what he's doing, so that those who believe in Christ are further encouraged. Everyone is encouraged, actually, because as he comes, as he encouraged them to eat, it says they all sat down and they all ate. They all gained strength. They all began to eat. And we see the principle that Paul wrote about in Corinthians, borne out. Let me just read this real quickly. I apologize for reading a lot about the script. Actually, no, I don't. I apologize for uh, that it maybe doesn't always uh, tie together so much, or that maybe... I struggled making it make sense, but, but I, I trust the word of God and it's, it's necessary for you to hear. You see, when Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote these words. He began it with these words in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, our, in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, that's kind of a mouthful. But what he's saying is, listen, and he's going to make this point a little later. but I'm not going to read it. He says, listen, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus' sake so that when I can be comforted by God, it can be a comfort to you. Or so that when you have to suffer as well, that you can see how God comforts me, and then you'll be comforted. That's exactly what he was doing on the the deck of that ship, by the way. He's saying, let's sit down and eat. And then he sits down and eats. He says, listen, I've been suffering with you these 14 days. You know that. I'm right with you. I've not been apart from you. I've not been spare from all of this, but now look at the comfort, the encouragement I have from my father, my God, who's told me that we're going to arrive safely. I'm going to sit down and eat. You too can be comforted. That's what he means by this. He says, God comforts us in our afflictions so that we would be able to comfort those, if they are in any kind of affliction, would be able to comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. All right, we got to move to daybreak, because when it was day, we got to wrap this thing up. When it was day, sun finally comes up. Notice, by the way, when's the last time they saw the sun? According to the text, when's the last time they saw the sun? At least 14 days before, right? So not only is it just in the immediate sense, it's a relief that the sun came up, but think of what a weight of relief that would be if you wouldn't have seen the sun for 14 days. The sun came up, his light outside. I guess maybe I should correct me. It says it was day. I don't know if the sun came up. I'm I pretty sure. I don't know if it, I shouldn't say that. It just says it was day. It became light. They were able to see at least. And they see that there's a land there, and they don't know what it is, but they see there's a beach there, and they say, it looks like we could land right there. So they cut the anchors. They raised the foresail, which is probably one of the only sails they have left at this point. They raised the foresail. They put, let the rudders back down. Had, those ships have two of them so they, to steer. They had tied them up so they wouldn't get in the way, wouldn't uh, be damaged by the, by, the, by the storm. They let those down, and they say, we're going to make the best run we can. And they're heading into shore, and of course, there's still one more obstacle, right? They hit a reef or a sandbar or something that was underground, and the, the front of the boat runs aground and sticks fast. And if you've ever been in a canoe in a shallow water situation, you've probably been in something like this, not to this danger, of course, probably, but you've been in something like that where the front is stuck and the back is loose still. And that's exactly what happened. But it says they began to realize right away that the surf was gonna pound into the back of the boat and was gonna destroy it, which means the boat was gonna be destroyed no matter what. Now we have another problem. Now we're all in here. Hey, let's go get the lifeboat, right? Except for the lifeboat's gone. So the soldiers think, you know what? We're going to make sure that none of the prisoners escape, so we're going to kill them. By the way, before you get too critical of them, uh, if you know anything about the history there, what would potentially have happened to them if their, soldiers would have, if their prisoners would have escaped? They would have lost their life, right? So really for them it was a trade, my life or theirs. So I'm just going to go ahead and preempt this and kill the prisoners so that I can hopefully keep my life at least. But here we see how much favor Paul has gained with Julius. Julius says, "I want to keep Paul alive, and I can't just keep him alive without all the other prisoners." So he says, "No," and he demonstrates a level of trust, doesn't he? He says, "No." Paul says, "We're all going to make it." So you, those of you that are strongest, how many days have they not eaten? How many of you? How many of you men in here? How many of you have took part in our fasting just this past year, or maybe the year before? Or if how many of you have ever fasted before for a multi-day fast? How do you feel after a couple of days of fasting? You feel like swimming to shore? I didn't. <laughs> I did I wouldn't be careful not to stand up too fast. I was going to get lightheaded and lose my balance. Those of you strong enough, get in the water and swim to shore. The rest of you find the pieces that are broken up from the ship or maybe from some of the cargo they jettisoned. But find pieces and float to shore And in the end, after all the things that we're talking about, it comes to this one little sentence, and so it was, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Such a little sentence, right? And yet such a monumental statement of how God kept his promise exactly that he said was going to happen the whole way through in the midst of being storm-tossed and all these other things happening in the end so it was, they were all brought safely to land. Once again, I'm reminded of some verses from Psalms. Let me read to you Psalm 130. Well, not all of it, part of it. Oh, that's not right. That's the other reference I had. Let me read to you Psalm 107. If you guys have a handout, you probably knew I was already wrong. You could have just told me right away. Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. Some went down to sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Don't you think they felt like that when they are in the middle of that storm? They mounted up to the heavens and they went down in the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. That sounds a lot like the verse we covered a couple weeks ago where they all had despaired of giving up, of having been saved at all. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. This is an overlay of exactly the situation we just talked about. Now, I don't think the psalmist was necessarily writing about that situation... In fact, I don't think the psalmist is necessarily writing about that, any specific literal situation because in the Psalm 107, if you would read it, you would see that he's actually giving examples from all walks of life to help us see one thing. And that is when we attempt to do things on our own and do things without God, it comes to a very bad end and we're left helpless and things fall apart. And then when we cry out to God, God brings change into our lives. They were glad that the waters were quiet and they brought them to their desired haven. I submit to you, this psalm here was not necessarily about some literal thing. It may have been true as well. Nor is it even necessarily is Paul's story that we're going to talk about this morning. It happened literally, no question. But the lesson for us isn't just how to survive a storm on the Mediterranean. Because that is a picture what, everything we saw from beginning to end is a picture of our lives walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. Misdirection. Things not working the way we think they should. Ending up where we don't think we should be ending up. But all the while, God has said, here's where you're going to be. And that's where we cling to. I want to just lay out real quickly for you this morning. And we had three different sections I want to lay out real quickly for you this morning. Three different ways that we see the deep faith and trust That was displayed in God's promise is what brought them through and brought them safely onto land again and let you make the analogy, the application to your life for the same amount of deep trust that's going to be necessary for you to arrive at your desired safe haven. That's another word for that is, I mean, haven. What word sounds a lot like haven? Heaven, right? That's really where God wants us ultimately to end up. The first thing we see is in the middle of the night when they're in the middle of not knowing what was going on. And they were seeking to find some other way. This is very key, by the way. They were seeking to find some other way to be safe. And God says, you've got to cut that lifeboat away or else you won't be saved. Now, before you intellectually nod your head and say, that's a really good point, Pastor Merlin, I want you to carefully... Assess your life and allow the Holy Spirit to point out all the lifeboats you're keeping on the deck of your ship. All the safety measures that you're putting in place. All the ways that you're trying to, under the cover of anchoring yourself down more, actually get in the lifeboat and find your own way to salvation. Because God's words are the same. To you and I. Unless you cut the lifeboat away and get rid of it, you won't be saved. If you think there's any other way other than the anchor that he has provided, the promise of what he's done through Jesus Christ, then you're not going to make it. The second thing I see is when dawn was approaching I see this commitment to Paul, his, the trust that Paul displayed to give thanks in all things, even when they weren't safely on shore yet. Did you catch that? He was thanking God for what God was about to do, for the safety he was about to get, but his feet were not on shore yet, were they? They had no, still had no idea at that point what lay in front of them, what kind of thing, what they're going to see when, this, when, when the light comes. They had no idea, but he gave thanks in all things. Does your faith in the promise of God allow you to give thanks in all things no matter whether you can see clearly yet whether the safe haven is straight ahead or not or whether you'll arrive there or not? And the third thing I see is I see this, I'm I'm just impressed with this commitment to working hard from a state of weakness. And again, I want to be careful. We've cut away the lifeboats so we're not trying to save ourselves. But that that doesn't mean we don't work hard for the Lord based upon the promise he's given us. You notice that in the end, the boat, the thing they were resting in, was also not the thing that got them to shore, was it? And in a weakened state, when they probably thought, I'm supposed to swim there? That was the very thing. The God-enabled, because that's what it is when we're in a state of weakness. The God-enabled ability to work hard to arrive at our destination. Paul used those words, by the way. He says, I work hard, that's my paraphrase, I work hard with all the energy and strength that God works in me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying he's saving himself, but he's recognizing that as part of what God has asked me to do, because of what God has promised me, I will give everything to him. I will put everything on the line. I will, even, when I, even when I think, now this may step on our toes, even when I think I've given so much I'll be willing to give more. Because God has promised that I'm going to arrive there. And I know I'm convinced that God is able to keep that which he's entrusted to me and guard it until that day. Brothers and sisters, these are the acts of the apostles. This is why we're studying this text. This is why, as we do so, we realize that sometimes our faith falls very short of what God wants it to be. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that as we study it, it not only illuminates what happened to them, helps things fall into place for us, But it also guides us. And sometimes that guiding is not always what we want to hear because we sometimes would rather have a nice comfortable life of just cruising through and living for what we have here. Unfortunately, your word doesn't allow that. Lord, I'm always wanting to be so specific that there's something that you spoke directly into someone's heart this morning, in their mind this morning, that is a thing that has to be changed. I pray, God, that by your grace that today would be the day it changes, that today is the day that they've said, I don't want to, I don't want to push that away anymore. I don't want to walk away. I want to press into God. I want to come close to God. Today, since I have the confidence of entering boldly into your presence, let us draw nearer. And Father, for those things that I may have said that were misspoken, I pray that you would just scratch them, wipe them from our memories so that they not be misleading. Lord, I want you to get the glory from any good thing that might have come out of today's sermon. And so I give you that glory publicly. I'll do it when people say something to me later. But more than anything, I just want our hearts, our brains, us to know that it is you who works in us to do your will. In you, we live and move and have our being, God. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand this morning? I'd like to just give you a blessing, a benediction. I'll give you the blessing in this way. May you cut away any lifeboats this week that you have left, that you are relying on. May you give thanks to God in all things this week. And may you work hard for him, even from a weak state, knowing that it is the Holy Spirit inside of you that enables you to work at all. Thank you, God, for being faithful to your word and your promise. Go in peace this morning.